0: Salute to Captain Kangaroo, huh? Looking up there, large. Major cultural influences of our time, yeah. Da, 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 da. How about Yogi Bear? Huh? I am smarter than the average ranger. Was that okay? I am smarter than the average ranger. chance Hooray for life, huh? How about that? La, la, la. Uh, marches on. We're glad to see that the American culture is once again on the march all over the world. You know, a lot of people are very negative about our time. They don't realize what we're contributing to the world. For example, I have a little note here, and I thought you might be interested in it. These are little notes that, uh, in a sense, you know, tell the of what the life we're living is about. An agreement between the Yuhu company and a major distributor in Netherlands, in Holland, for the distribute. Distribution all throughout Holland and the Low Countries of YooHoo has just been uh, perpetrated, and uh, it's you know we'd like to salute the YooHoo Company for bringing this. Uh, it says, however, they're a little confused over in in Holland uh, as to what to call a drink over there because YooHoo means something else in Holland. And, uh, what does it mean? None of your business. We're on the radio, honey. We can't a lot of things we can't say. So uh we'd like to salute uh, the American culture on the march once again. So would you please, if you will, James, please. Rasmus. Here we go. Let's go. wildest the show is it really? Uh, you know that. We'll we have to calm it down here a little bit. You know, the rat, uh, uh, up to this point in history, has gotten very, very little good publicity. I mean, he, he just doesn't have a good PR agency working for him. And and uh, if you have the rat account, and if you're in a PR agency, you've got your work cut out for you because you know it's just like having the cockroach account. I've discovered myself. That uh, I've said certain good things about cockroaches from time to time on this show, and I have been criticized unmercifully. I mean, by I mean, just terrible that I've deigned to say anything. And the cockroach, really, uh, compared to the rat, you know, the cockroach, uh, he doesn't do much. He, you know, walks around, eats a few breadcrumbs now and then. He comes out of the drain under the sink once in a while. But he, he really, you know, uh, maybe it's because not many people have had cockroaches as pets. Whereas a lot of people had white rats as pets, you know. <laughs> you ever had a rat? You know these little things. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, you know. Oh yeah, there was a big, there was a big fad. I don't know whether there's any kids today. I, I suppose so. That you have these little rats. You get a white rat. You can buy them at a pet store, and they've got pink noses, and kind of pink eyes, but they're rats, you know. And uh, they're great pets. And so this this rat, uh, I had him in this little cage, had little wooden bars and. At the, we got along fine I'd come along you give him lettuce once in a while you give him a little hamburger and he eats when he nips at your finger once in a while like this and he was a little tiny rat when I first got him say so, well after a couple of months he's a little bit bigger and then all of a sudden he's a big rat and he can hardly get out you know the cage is a, is bulging so <laughs> you know, and I used to take him out and he'd run around a living room and he was a tame rat and he'd hang around at the sit at the bottom of the stairs once in a while and he'd hide under the under the sofa, and he'd make these little squeaking, you know the kind of sound rats make, that make a squeaking sound? Well, I want to tell you this, friends. We never had rats in our house. We had mice, but no rats. We never had a rat in the house. And I had him out one day. He's in the living room, and he's running around, a little white rat. You know what his name was? I can't even remember his name, Corky. I named him Corky because there was a kid in the neighborhood named Corky that was a real rat. And I figured by name, <laughs> just natural name for a rat, Corky. So, so Corky's hanging around one day in the living room, and my kid brother, I'm in the kitchen, something making a salami sandwich. By the way, for those of you who uh, are interested in salami sandwiches, and I, I know that a lot of you are. I'm a, I'm an old aficionado on sandwiches. I would like to suggest one of the greatest sandwiches in the world is to take whole wheat bread, and uh, you put uh, butter on it. You know, whole wheat bread. And that take a, a, a pretty thick slice, a real thick slice of soft, kosher-type salami, you know, with plenty of garlic in it, a real, real hairy salami, you know, the real, you know, the soft kind, see. Uh, oh, one good thing about this salami, you see, is it's, a, it's, it's an enjoyment. It's like a lot of things uh, that, you, that have a long-term investment quality to them. Huh? You have a salami sandwich, a good salami sandwich, particularly if you have one before bed, and you can enjoy that sandwich for upwards of two weeks. I like that. I just enjoy that. You know, once in a while, the next day in school, I'm sitting there, you know, and it's in the middle of geography or some dull class like uh, social studies. We were always having classes like social studies. You know, Boy, are they ever dull. And uh, I remember sitting there once in a while, social studies. Mr. Harris is up there talking about uh, the free voter electoral system, and he's got blue blocks all over the Blackboard Electoral College and all that. We're sitting there. And it's dull, and all of a sudden, burp. Way down inside of me, that salami sandwich that I had three days ago signals me, see, and reminds me of salami sandwiches. And for about, uh, oh, a couple of minutes there, you know, it, it it drifts up through my ears, and I, you know, I, I taste it all over again. You know, Oh, boy, that was great. <laughs> no well, you know, now, wait a minute. Don't think this is in bad bad taste, which, by the way, reminds me, friend, this is a radio-free Broadway here, and I'm me. And uh, I'll be here, you know, for a while. Come along with girls so pretty. Come down here from New York City. What will you choose, Jamaica? Mon? Ah, a playboy swingathon. The swingathon can bring you to Jamaica too. It's that great a vacation idea. Seven days and six nights at the fabulous Playboy Club Hotel in Ocho Rios, Jamaica. Breakfast, dinners, even champagne, all for $145. It's the smartest bargain in vacation travel today, but who knows how long it'll last. See your travel agent now and ask him about the Playboy Club Hotel in Jamaica, West Indies, or call 867 1450. 867 1450. Come Come down here from New York City. What bring you to Jamaica? a the free boys bring us on. Friends, parents, teachers, and fellow students, as valedictorian of Valley Victoria High School, I would like to express. My sincere thanks to that valuable invention that has made my parents' investment in my vocation more valuable, the Valentine, Olivetti's bright red portable typewriter. I visualize the Valentine as I vacate Valley Victoria, for it has provided me a broader vision of the vibrant vicissitudes available for more vivid vistas. I must volunteer that the Valentine typewriter is the most venerable, viewable, valiant, venturesome typewriter in the world. Verlo- world, In the words of the famous Latin poet, Veriti Veritas Valentine, from Olivetti. This Christmas, give her an arpege promise. Dear Mother... I promise to stop dressing like a freak. Just write a promise on a card and wrap it up with a gift of arpege. Arpege and promises go together. They always have. Dear Annie, I promise to stop showing your baby pictures to your boyfriends. Promise her anything. But give her arpege by L'Enfant. You'll find arpege gifts for as little as 250 and all the way up to $500. <coughs> Jean Natté Friction Bath. and she'll feel fresh. Give her two and she'll glow a little. Give her three and she'll absolutely tingle all over. Give her a gift of Jean Nate Friction Bath from two dollars. She'll have to feel it to believe it. Edited for television. What happens to all the sex and violence between the movie theater and the television set? The current issue of TV Guide magazine interviews one of the men who edits movies for television. The same issue previews Ed Sullivan's Christmas special with Art Carney and the Muppets, talks to Jackie Gleason about his forced retirement, reviews Lord Kenneth Clark's public broadcasting services 13-week series Civilization, and interviews... Nancy's Celeste Holmes, just part of TV Guide's in-depth coverage of the people who make television work this week, every week. TV Guide, New York's biggest selling weekly magazine. America's biggest selling weekly magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. So this is WOR, and, uh, And if you think that's bad taste, it isn't really bad taste because it's life, you know. We're all living it. We're all here together. And uh, if you start celebrating the... After all, what does the poet do but celebrate the little unsung things in life? And that's what really the poet should do. And so uh, I'm just pointing out that two or three days after the salami sandwich, you know, you can celebrate this little... Suddenly it drifts up. Especially the way I make salami sandwiches, or at least uh, made a lot of them those days. You just cut a piece of this rich, magnificent... Uh, you know, you always, people keep thinking of salami sandwiches in connection with rye bread. You know, salami on rye? Well, let me tell you this. The subtlety of a thick piece of soft, kosher-type rye on whole wheat bread, which has a slightly sweet taste, see? You know? Whole wheat bread does not taste the same as rye bread. And you take this whole wheat bread and you put butter on it, see? You lay that salami sandwich, that salami, right in the middle of it. And then, do you hear this touch, you get yourself... A jar of strawberry preserves. Uh-oh. Already I can see the face is changing. You know why you're changing? You have not tasted it. That's why. That's right. You look like my mother always would look when I would say, Hey, Ma, how about shrimps for supper? She, her, her, to her, shrimps were bucks. Yeah, we thought of shrimps as bugs because must, you know. One time, maybe she was about three years old. She must have seen in the butcher shop, must have seen a whole bunch of shrimp, you know, and they looked like bugs to her. And from that time on, uh, you know, she so she never would taste shrimp. You'd say, uh, "Hey, ma, how about let's let's try these uh, shrimp a la Creole?" You know, actually, we're talking about shrimp a la Creole, you know, but <laughs> we had that fancy way of saying things in in the Indiana. Like, uh, my my old man, he was always saying, "You know, we ought to have some time before dinner, some horses dovers." You know that was just, that's basic Indiana humor see? horses dovers I thought my mother would say no, you were meaning horse d'oeuvres. why don't you say it right <laughs> so, you know, so anyway nevertheless uh, uh we we uh we must we must keep an open mind in these days of change friends you've got to keep an open mind on everything so so please listen me out on my salami sandwich. It might bring a new vista of beauty or truth into your life. you don't know I'm not speaking for you, I'm speaking for me it did. And so you take the strawberry preserves. This has to be done with great care. You cannot put too much on. And then you take the top piece of bread, that's whole wheat bread that has on it uh, butter or oleo, whatever you use there. It's not called oleo now. It's called the the low-price spread. Uh, Take the low-price spread. And uh, then you take not the strawberry itself, but the Google around the strawberries and the strawberry preservation of the juice. And uh, you take your knife, see, and you spread a thin coating of this on the top piece of bread, and you lay that down there. Now, wait a minute. This is very important. Let it marinate for about 15 minutes, you see. It's got to marinate. I'm serious. And, man, you you take a chomp out of that, that thing, and I want to tell you, if that doesn't bring the roses to your cheeks, if that... <laughs> Why am I making everybody... The... Listen... Uh, you know that. Now wait. I, mean, I have to make a point here. Now I, I'm going to be very unpopular for this. I understand that. But but one of the oldest cuisines in the world, by none, is the northern China. Well, the Chinese cuisine. After all, this is one of the oldest civilizations uh, in the world. It, in fact, it is the oldest. I suspect. I'm not a uh, sociologist, so I wouldn't say. But the, it is. I, I understand. Okay. Now, one of the things that the Chinese have always done, and this this is the uh, the, uh, in a sense, this is the uh, hallmark of a highly developed civilization, is the sophisticated food that it eats. This is a hallmark. Uh, people on the frontier of any rough-hewn society eat very unsophisticated food. You know, they they take a chunk of beef, and uh, they hang it over a fire, and they sit and eat it, uh, you know, just grab it and eat it. They don't put... the uh, they're, you know, oregano they don't know from. So they, uh, they're not going to worry about time or any of this stuff. And so uh, this is a hallmark of a civilization, the subtlety of the food. Now, subtlety quite often comes from the juxtaposition of opposites. In short, you'll notice in the Chinese cuisine that they continually mix the sweet and the sour, now, in an un- fairly unsophisticated cuisine, they never would do this. Uh, either you have something that is sour or it's sweet. Uh, it, never, uh, it doesn't occur often to people to take, uh, let's say, vinegar and uh, mix it with brown sugar and therefore produce, that's the basic ingredient, by the way, uh, or molasses in the sweet and sour sauces used in Chinese cuisine. But that takes a long time, you see. It, it, that's not something that just starts overnight. And so uh, over the centuries, you see, this slowly evolved. That The Chinese, many, many centuries ago, they were just like everybody else. You know, they sat around and uh, somebody would knock off a pig and then they would, uh, uh, you know, somebody would knock off a chunk of a pig with his knife and he'd throw it in the fire. And it took them thousands of years to even think of, 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 of cooking it at all, you know, putting it in the fire. And so eventually we wound up with... Uh, Tenth-rate Chinese joints all over the place selling sweet and sour pig's knuckles. And, you know, it took thousands of years to do this. Though. It didn't happen overnight. Well, I, 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 little did I realize as a kid that I was the beginning. Now, these things don't happen uh, uh, deliberately. You know, some Chinese didn't say, I will be an avant-garde cook and start putting vinegar. It happened uh, maybe uh, innocently, you know. It must have happened, uh, uh, you know, in a way that uh, just sort of evolved. Nobody, uh, one day somebody must have poured uh, some vinegar in the in the molasses sauce they were making. See, and somebody says, Holy smokes, throw that out. The vinegar's in there. You know, and uh, somebody says, Wait a minute, la we're all out of sauce. we got to use it. Oh, no, no, no. Wow, wow. The Thanksgiving dinner will be ruined. Hung, Well, so they tried it, and it was fantastic. Now, it took a lot of doing because a lot of people rejected it out of hand, right off the bat, even if it tasted good, because it couldn't have tasted good because they were not used to that. Well, now, I'll tell you how my my salami sandwich and strawberry jam evolved. It was just an innocent thing. Uh, you know, most kids at, at a certain age are just born gluttons. And, uh, <laughs> and also at a certain age, they have very little selectivity. They'll eat anything. You know, you know they'll eat a chunk of weeds. They'll uh, knock down a piece of bark. Uh, they'll eat part of the cat. It doesn't make it difference. They'll eat anything that's around. see? So uh, as a kid, I'll tell you, uh, I had this thing, I, 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 you know, strawberry jam. I always put strawberry jam we are going to be invaded. No, it's okay. Uh, strawberry jam, I would put on uh, peanut butter, okay? That's normal. Kids do this. So one day, I uh, put the strawberry jam, laying it on the bread there. See, I got, the, got it all laid out. I open the refrigerator. There's the peanut butter. The skippy is there, chunk style. See? And right next to it is this great, big, fantastic, majestic, two-pound slab of soft salami. The old man was a real salami cuckoo. He's the only guy I've known who mixed salami with a scotch. He loves salami. Anything. Salami was salami. You know? He just loves salami. And there it is. Laying right there, see. So I also dug salami. So uh, there I've got my sandwich half made, see. And uh, I had my choice now. Do you throw out the bread? My first impulse was to throw it out, see. And, uh, but then, again, I, you know, coming from a basic Puritan background, something stopped me. Says, oh well, what the heck, you know. So I chomp off a chunk of salami. I just cut it off. See, and says, oh well, what the heck? I probably won't taste it. So I put it on the bread, slapped it on, and uh, I bit into this baby. And I'm going to tell you. Well, I'll, I'll say this: that uh, you know, you've, uh, you almost every novel written today, or at least a large percentage of novels written today, are about a young man's first awakening to the great world around him. Uh, translated the first time. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what the novels right read are about. Walt loves those novels, incidentally. He reads those over and over again. Because you see, it never happened to Walt. So he just has to read the novels. And uh, nevertheless, uh, I, uh, uh, I never realized, and I don't think many novelists are aware of the fact, that, that uh, a tremendous sexual experience is just an innate passion experience. An, an ecstatic experience can come about just by a little innocent thing like that. A salami sandwich, it, I'll tell you, I, I just remember, I was, I was flat. I couldn't believe a taste like this could be so good. It was so great. And I knocked down that sandwich in about 18 seconds, flat, in a gluttony percentile. I knocked it down. And here I am frantically making another one. See <laughs> My mother comes into the kitchen, and she says, oh, peanut butter and jelly, huh? And I'm making a sandwich. I knock off another piece of salami. And I lay it on there. She says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm putting salami on this. It's got strawberry preserves on it. I says, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, you've always heard the expression, yeah. Well, you heard that all the time on TV. Well, that's basically a Midwestern expression. You know what the Midwestern expression is for the same thing, though? To be honest with you, ech yeah, is a is thing. Uh, that's just a human expression. It doesn't have any, any uh, uh, regional connotations. I think they say this everywhere. But do you know a genuine Midwestern expression? I have never once heard it here. You hear it around Chicago, whenever something icky is trotted out. You know what people say? Ooh, ish. Did you ever hear that expression? Yeah, Jim's heard it. Ooh, ish, uh, ish, they say. <laughs> that means oh bad, ish. And that uh, my mother goes, Oh, ooh, ish, ooh, yeah. So much great. Well, do you know that nobody in my family would try this mixture of salami and strub. You can understand why, right? Okay. I will venture to say that 250 years from now, after American culture continues to evolve and gets very sophisticated, you will find gourmet shops where they will be serving salami with a thin coating of, uh, of marinated, uh, selected uh, strawberry preserves from the strawberry farms of Wisconsin. And people will flock in. <laughs> I'm the first one. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the first one. Well, of course, you you, you never could put a guy down for the, uh, you know, what he eats. You know, there it is. It's there. See, I mean, if some guys uh, like ketchup on their on their scrambled eggs. I'm not going to put a guy down for that. I can say to you ish and ish again. I can say luck and luck again. But nevertheless, friends, if it's your bag, it's your bag. I'm not going to be the one. <laughs> Oh, listen, uh, have you ever taken, have you ever taken, uh, to use the same uh, idea, have you ever taken hamburgers? You know, you take a hamburger, you're going to make hamburgers, right? Take a hamburger, When you're taking hamburgers. Instead of uh, putting the usual stuff in them, salt and pepper, most people will put them, maybe a little celery, maybe a little garlic in it and so on. Why don't you try this when you're going to make, uh, make, make uh, hamburgers? Take, say if you've got a pound of hamburger, right? you got it in the bowl. Take about uh, as much as you can put in a cupped hand, Dried raisins. And throw these raisins in the hamburger. Mix it all up, you see. And then take also, uh, take a little, uh, maybe a good pinch would do it, or maybe two pinches of of brown sugar and sprinkle it in this, in the hamburger. Mix it all up and then put the other stuff that you're going to put in there with this thing. And then you cook those hamburgers. And man, I want to tell you, those raisins get big, you see, when they're cooking in there. And what a difference it makes in a hamburger! It's fabulous. Yeah. Now, now, all right. But but uh, ordinarily, uh, now you you see the value of this. Well, what you're doing, you see, is mixing sweet with something that is ordinarily not sweet, and it makes a very different taste. Uh, I'll give you another idea for another great hamburger. Really, a great hamburger in the same way. Take the same thing. Take the hamburger. See, you got a pound of hamburger. All right. You take the hamburger, and then get yourself a can. You can buy these little cans. Uh, I don't know what the number of it is, but you know those little cans, like the kind of cans the tuna come in? Those little round cans. You can get yourself a little can at any store of shrimp. Little, you know these little shrimp you can buy? Well, you open that can of shrimp, you drain that shrimp, and you throw those shrimp in that hamburger. And you mix that all up, you know, just like you're making regular hamburger. You mix it all up, and then put the raisins in there, and then lay that baby on the, on the, on the grill. And when you do it, I'll give you a suggestion. When you lay this on the grill, after you put your uh, your touch of garlic in it and you put your celery salt in it, when you put that baby on the grill, sprinkle over each hamburger a pinch of brown sugar that will make a very thin, almost indiscernible glaze on that hamburger when she's cooked, you know, the hamburger will get brown. Oh, man, is that a hamburger? That's almost obscene. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, if the cops ever find out about that, you're going to get busted. I mean, that's worse than a pot party, I tell you. I mean, uh, try that. Try that, that. Don't laugh. Just try that one. Now, you see, you're ready for that one. But uh, <laughs> some of the others you are not quite ready for it. Uh, there's, there's all kinds... I, I don't want to do a cooking. I mean, speaking of cooking, well, so this is a little note in, the, in Manila, you know, has just come out. Uh, We've got a thing here from Manila. A provincial official in Manila says Filipinos should begin eating rats to fight the rat infestation. I quote here, rat meat, if cooked well, is much better than dog meat, says uh, Manuel Lazzizo, official of Manila. Well, that's an interesting comparison. Rat meat is better than dog meat. Well, that's probably true. (laughs) I have never tried dog meat recently, but apparently that's a big dish in Manila. However, uh, uh, (laughs) I just thought you ought to know that the rats are making it big these days. In a lot of areas, at that, well, don't look so sick. I'm just quoting. It's from UPI. I didn't invent it. Everybody says, "Oh, what a terrible thing you said." Oh, ugh. I'm going to get letters from little old ladies. Dear Mister Shepard, that was an awful program you did the other night. I don't want to hear about that kind of thing. Think what you're doing. You're leading the youth of America down that evil path. My son is now eating rat meat. <laughs> <laughs> putting raisins in it uh, and shrimp. Well, uh, you know life is life, friends, and you got to accept it for what it is. <laughs> it's life, but uh that reminds me you know speaking of rats, a terrible experience one time with a rat and, uh, uh i I will give you a word of warning here, oh, oh by the way, speaking of uh of the uh, of the inscrutable East before we leave that uh there's a did you see the note uh <laughs> I don't know quite how to approach this. would you give me a little of that sea tar music You know, we always talk of about... yeah, that's the other one that sneak it in there. Little note. No, no, no. Sea tar. That's the other one. That's not sea tar, man. (laughs) Jimmy, you ain't with it. (laughs) Jimmy says, What's a sea tar? He thinks it's some kind of a chair that you sit on when you're visiting your girl. All right, bring it up. (laughs) Uh, Special announcement from Kathmandu, Nepal. For adventurous all over the world, the roof of the world is again open and ready for challenging. Under four-year plan, Nepalese government has lifted its prohibition against attempts to climb 2,000-foot Mount Everest, world's highest mountain, and other giants of the Himalayas. Future expeditions will find it easier to get to due to benevolent work of Nepalese government. Airfields have been constructed all up and down side of uh, various mountains, including Everest, including short takeoff and landing fields, especially for a helicopter, for who wish to climb Mount Everest easy way. Also, must make special announcement from Kathmandu, Nepal government. The mountains are now, so to speak, booked up much in advance by getting climbing permission from government and paying licensing royalties. Standing license rates now available and has been published by Nepalese government are as follows $50 for peak below 20,000 feet. $300 license for one between 20,000 and 25,000 feet. Must have license costing 500 US dollars to climb Monster Mountain. Must be paid by expedition and officially approved by Nepalese government. Must have license now to climb Mount Everest. License good only for one crime. Also, each member of expedition must be having special license of own, not entire organization license. Colorful native Sherpa guides, now all totally and completely organized and licensed, have strong union. Has been special broadcast from unspoiled, untamed East. Stay tuned to Radio Kathmandu for Elvis Presley Hour, which follows in just a moment. Kamandishi Maharana Kamalada will speak on imperialist warmongering cash-hungry Americans in Tamanos. One moment, please, due to technical difficulties. <laughs> you like my Nepalese newscast? Ha, <laughs> You'd think it's funny. Listen, I listened to them all over uh, when I was over in Bangkok, and that's the way they sound. They come on, But uh, the, uh, it's, you know how, how romantic that people are. Uh, you walk up and down the village, you know, almost every hippie he believes somewhere off in the distance is, is, uh, is Shangri-La. They all believe in Shangri-La, you know, and uh, where the people are unspoiled. Can you imagine a hippie trying to climb Mount Everest and getting pinched because he hasn't got a license, you know, halfway up? And he's got his, his Morocco-bound volume that he got from the Book of the Month Club of the, of the Kama Sutra, you know. And <laughs> they lay the arm on him. Men you're Kama Sutra. You now got arm on. No license, no ticky, no washi, You come. But, uh, <laughs> but that, that presents a great problem, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the dreamers. Uh, one of the great uh, dream books of all time is Shangri-La, you know. This, this, this uh, myth has popped up Uh, countless times that uh, somewhere in the world is this perfect place. And uh, all have you noticed that all Shangri-Las or all places of that kind, all Shangri-Las, as pictured in uh, fiction, are always ruled over by a dictator, almost invariably. Uh, and, And it's this fantastically benevolent father figure that's always ruling over these places. And he's usually 700 years old, see, and as there is not an evil bone in his body anyway. He's like God. He looks a little like God, you know. And he usually has this long white hair. And he says such things as when, when the uh, hero is brought in to have an audience with the great Ra, or uh, the great all-seeing, all-encompassing, beautiful ruler of the universe, he's brought in to see this mythological old man. He usually comes into this room, and that the, the room is, is uh, covered with ivory, magnificent carvings, And there is a tiny, frail figure sitting on a carved ivory throne and smiling a benevolent smile. And the hero, who has come four million miles to find truth, four million miles to learn what life is about, he comes through this long hall, uh, not noticing, of course, that everybody in this place is a slave to this guy, see, and uh, has to carry out the orders totally. And uh, he comes into this hall and he's being perfectly the humility is just pouring out of him. See, and he, uh, he he sees this figure, this legendary figure, who watches him approach with a slight legendary smile playing over that ancient creased face, those long wispy white beards, floating in a breeze that is jasmine scented, and uh, he's sitting on this uh, purple cushion that was that was woven. By the ancient gods of India, over 12 million years ago, out of the uh, out of the fur taken from the rare green llama, and now he sits, awaiting the hero. The hero comes up with uh, total humility. He bows to the great, all-seeing, magnificent ruler of the universe, over 7,000 years old. Oh, master, I have come to seek the wisdom. Of the ages. Also, be seated, son. We have been expecting you. It is written that one day, young man, come from outside world, to seek wisdom. I am here, sir. I wish to be. Initiated into the great wisdom of the ages. Oh, man must love fellow man. And the man staggers back. What a fantastic revelation. It never was quite put this way, except by Edgar Gray Guest and every calendar he ever saw. But, oh, that is true. Oh, sire, oh, master. Tell me more. Oh, Life is great mystery. Man cannot plumb mysteries of life. Great Scott, what fantastic wisdom. Oh, that is not all, fun. I have more. Also must say it was with one time in the great Kama Kanjala Guna Lak Pandit the great writings of all masters of many, many eons ago and writ before the columns of the temple Ala Kanasana or Howard Johnson that was writ Man is man Fantastic I must get back out I must get back out to the outside world to let them know of this great wisdom which has come I must get out last scene we see. The man struggling his way back out to the mountain passes. That's the wind blowing over Mount Everest. And that little line of pilgrims are battling against the great hurricane of the eternal winds of the high Himalayas, which hide this tiny, magnificent kingdom from all the prying eyes of mundane mankind. (sighs) I've got to get back. I've got to tell him. Man must love fellow man. I've got to get back. And then suddenly, stepping outside of a little cranny, is another man wearing fur coat with silver badge. Oh, you stop. May I see license to climb Mount Everest? May I see license? Also, must charge you have no, Oh, you come from with Great Seer? Must charge you extra 250 US dollars for contacting Great Seer. You have now busted have broken the broken license laws of Nepal. Must also charge you 750 extra dollars for. We're searching for an abominable snowman. You look for a snowman? Must have no unlicensed place. Follow me to station. <laughs> yeah! You like that little drama? Isn't that nice? Why can Elaine do stuff like that? How much time we got? Oh, shucks. Oh, God. I was going to give you a tremendous recipe for barbecued rat. But, uh, no. I... <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you. I shouldn't tell you this story because, you know, people are very squeamish. Most people spend their time but running away from these things. Boy, that, that, I remember one time. I, I think I told this, but it bears repeating. One day I'm, I'm walking along Park Avenue. I'm serious. Park Avenue. Up in the 50s on uh, 58, 59th Street, and this is really, uh, you know, this is great. Uh, you see the nannies out there with the, with the little French carriages pushing the kids, you know, the future Rockefellers and all that. And this is really right in the heart of Big Timesville. And I'm waiting for a light to change. The sun is beaming down, and all the shop windows with the beautiful jewelry on display. And the Bentleys are going by, and this is really where it all is, you know. And I'm waiting for a light to change. All these ladies, there's a lady standing right next to me, you know, typical. Uh, well, you can just see, you know, she's on her way to the to the oak room for her tea this afternoon. And she's waiting on the curb when suddenly I noticed to my right coming out of a sewer right there by the curb on Park Avenue one of the biggest, rottenest, stinky-looking gray rats I ever saw in my life, this great big rat, and and he had yellow eyes. You know, I'd see his eyes. He'd, he peered out, and he came right out of the sewer. You know, that little opening there. He crawls out of the sewer, and he's, oh, what a scurvy-looking rat. And he runs along the, uh, 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 right, right parallel to the curb. He runs along the curb, and there wasn't a single person in the crowd saw this rat but me. I said, "Holy smokes, a rat on Park Avenue! Oh man, this is—you not never see this in the Fred Astaire movies, you know? And this great big rat, this big gray, sullen, miserable rat—goes running past me. The minute is up. Why don't you get that thing on there, baby? Oh, it isn't. Well, how much time now do we have? There it comes. Very good. <laughs> oh man, oh, you sweet." So I want to salute all the rats tonight, wherever they are. Out there listening on their transistor radios. Making their hamburgers. Putting their strawberry preserves on their kosher salami sandwiches. Hanging loose. Oh, it's a long trail of winding. And don't forget, the next time you go to the, you know, uh, you want to make it the Shangri-La, be sure you get your license first. Just uh, make sure that you get to... And, and um, by the way, you got to get a current stamp on it, too. if You're going to see the Maharishi... Whatever what happened to the Maharishi, remember? <laughs> oh, I remember when I did uh, I did shows about the Maharishi, it seems like a hundred years ago. People were all writing me, saying, so you'll not understand such beauty and truth. Oh. <laughs> oh, Hang loose, man. It's a cold wind that blows uh, cornflakes in your face. Bring it up.